Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Dear brothers, sisters and friends Welcome to another episode and interview Addressing the coronavirus pandemic Today we are really pleased and honoured to have with us A really special guest Dr Bilal Patel Who is a consultant cardiologist at Blackpool Hospital Before we begin the interview I'd like to share an update A global update on the number of coronavirus cases Unfortunately those who have deceased as well from the virus, um, but some good news on those who have been reported to have recovered. Currently, as it stands, we have coronavirus cases in approximately the number of 678,905, deceased from the virus at 31,771, and those who are reported to have recovered at 146,319. Today is March the 29th, Sunday. Naturally, these numbers will change drastically upon release of this show. Um, but with no further delay, I'd like to introduce um, brother and Dr. Uh, Bilal Patel. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you, Dr. Patel? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, I'm well. Um, and thanks for inviting me on your, on your podcast. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, uh, Bilal, I wanted to uh, first ask you really, how are you? How is your health? How are your family and uh, your loved ones and friends? Alhamdulillah. So I'm, uh, I'm fine now. Um, I was in um, self-isolation for nearly two weeks. Um, my symptoms were quite mild. I started off with a very mild tickling cough. Um, actually felt quite well for about five days and then started to feel achy, um, headache, um, and the cough carried on. But out of all the 13, 14 days, there was only one day I would have actually thought, you know, maybe I won't go into work. Um, but I was in isolation during that time. I feel well now. My youngest, my six-year-old, developed symptoms um, a few days ago of high fever and cough. Alhamdulillah, she's getting better as well. Um, and the rest of the family are good. And my older brother, younger brother and sister have all had symptoms, um, but they all seem to be recovering now as well. Alhamdulillah, really pleased to hear that. Uh, and that's uh, quite consistent with how um, uh, public health England and professionals have and experts have uh, described how most will experience symptoms of the coronavirus um, that most people would recover and it would be mild to moderate symptoms. Um, from your experience, have you found that to be the case beyond your own experience? Well, I think, um, you know, I've got quite a few um, friends and colleagues that are also um, self-isolating at the moment and that appears to be the case that most people um, will be all right. But the worrying thing about this is that, you know, with very mild symptoms, you're contagious and you're spreading it. Um, and that's a far bigger concern then, because, you know, if you've got vulnerable people around you, um, even if you haven't, but you're spreading it to others, the risk is, you know, a, a population level, there's a huge risk there of you being spreaders and um, increasing the um, number of cases um, nationally and globally. There was a, a video that you made um, whilst you were in self-isolation. Um, so this was, correct me if I'm wrong, a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, yeah. And this, uh, this video went viral and no pun intended, uh, but it really did go viral, um, especially in the Muslim community. And I just wanted to ask you, what made you want to make this video? Um, it was really, really useful. And it was one of the videos that I heard and many others um, who I'm in communication with, they found it very, very powerful. Um, talk to me a little bit about what drove you to release this video. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think the doctors and the health profession 
professionals have really been very concerned about um, the impact that this virus is going to have on um, on the UK. So, you know, we've been planning for um, the fallout from this for a while. And then when I developed symptoms, went into isolation for the first two days, the hours were going really slowly. Um, then um, spoke to a couple of friends and they said, look, uh, you're telling us information which people don't know out there. You know, what you're telling us um, actually sounds quite scary. And really, because people know you in the community and you're a medical professional, you know, why don't you try and put something out there? And I thought, I'm, I'm not really one to make a video or, you know, to send it out. But I thought, well, actually, right. this might be a good idea to get the message out. And really, it was aimed at our community to get to make them understand how severe this is going to be. Um, so it was aimed at my local community. Uh, I made the video. And then from there, um, uh, it spread far and wide. Um, and then people said, can you do one in Urdu? Can you do another one? Can you do it in different languages? Um, and then from there, I put a second video out, you know, regarding social distancing. Um, and then from our um, one of the guys who we train with in the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu Club, he put it on Instagram and Facebook. And then so actually the message, although it was originally aimed at my own community, it actually ended up going to several different communities. And, and I didn't really realize how useful that would be. You know, I've been a doctor for 21, 22 years now. Um, and in the work I do, we deal with people with heart attacks. If you have a heart attack, there's a blockage. We open the blockage up. Um, so um, just like, you know, you're a plumber for the heart. And in that, you know, you do save some lives. But then um, on reflection, you think that if more people got this message in a few days, that will have far more beneficial impact if you just look at how this virus is spreading um, and how many people it's affecting as, as we're seeing now. Oh, absolutely. And that's a, a really good segue into one of the things I wanted to ask you today, which is you mentioned that you made a second, third and more videos after the first one. Um, and people in the community asked you to do it in different languages so that it was more accessible to other people in the community, right? Yeah. One of the questions I wanted to ask was, what is it true? Because there is some news coming out from different Muslim organizations and, uh, and different sources that 20 to 25% of the deceased in the UK from the coronavirus um, seem to be Muslims. Um, so, is that true? So it's hard to verify the figures. We do know from early on um, that from the first four um, fatalities, sorry, first 10, four of them were Muslim. And then the, we got early reports that, you know, maybe 20, 25 percent of the fatalities um, are Muslim. But there's no way of actually verifying this because on the death certificates and the data that's gathered, um, you know, we, we won't capture um, the religion of, of, of an individual there. Um, but we are finding, I mean, I've just gotten news today, you know, that we've got three Muslim doctors um, that have passed away. Um, two of these are Sudanese. Um, and there's another um, uh, doctor that was a GP um, and have died from this. And these are from the UK. And one of these, a friend of mine, um, knew him personally. So I think um, it does seem to be affecting um, the Muslim community um, more. Um, why that is, there might be multiple reasons. You know, we... We um, generally live in extended families. Um, you know, in our culture, you've got a lot more physical um, contact. And, and it's really hard to keep, um, you know, to keep the kids away from the vulnerable. So that, that might be a reason there. What do you think some of the barriers might be for um, South Asian communities, uh, 
other ethnic minority communities um, in understanding the severity of this virus. Yeah, what so, do you so think I, some of those challenges so think, are? First of all, I think that the you know the the barriers have actually been widespread for, in all communities, really, um, specific to um, you know the Asian or um, Southeast Asian community has been one. It's the mindset, you know. So we've got a mindset that um, well, fatalism or whatever's going to happen is going to happen, you know. It's the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, you know, um, let it be is one factor. Um, the other factor mm. is that it's something that you can't see, you know, so because you can't see the virus and, and on the street and this applies to the general public as well. Life seems to be going on as pretty normal and you just get the impression that some people are sort of causing, you know, panic or fear. Um, and then the other factor really is a language language problem as well. So I think, you know, they're, they're, they're the factors um, uh, that really affect um, the message getting through, but uh, I think you know we've had difficulties in the message message getting through in all, in all communities. Yeah, and and we're all trying to do everything we can in our respective communities in terms of trying to break those barriers and get um, information and awareness um, on this subject of the coronavirus pandemic and try to make it as accessible as we can. Um, and this interview with yourself is one of them, and perhaps. There's people in our community, going back to the point you made about fatalism, um, who believe, you know, what will happen will happen. It's God's will. Um, what message would you give to people in our community and other communities who are having that approach? Um, so, what message would you give to yeah, perhaps? So, so, so what, what I've said there is that, you know, OK, um, if you just look at from an Islamic perspective, you know, we believe everything comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, all power is in his hands. So, for example, if a fire is burning, you put your hand in the fire. Um, in um, Akida, you would say that it's not the fire is burning. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is causing the burning. So I give, you know, and I've had this direct discussion I'm having with you with multiple people from committees and, mm. and, um, and certain scholars as well saying, the fire is burning. Are you going to put your hand in there? Uh, and the answer is no. In the same way, you know, um, we know that disease comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The cure comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But he's created the means and the asbab. So... You know, let's use some, um, you know, let's let's use that and tie your camel and don't expect, you know, for um, you to be safe. Just having your faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and, and the other sort of a message I've given. So some people have said, well, they don't mind if they catch it and they die. Not a problem. I said, that's fine for you. That is fine. However, if you do get coronavirus and you die, it's a very lonely death because your family, they'll be in isolation. Your family won't even be able to come and bury you as well. Um, the whole Husserl Janaza is, is very, very problematic. And on top of that, if you know and understand that the disease, the virus can be transmitted and may end up in disease and you end up spreading it to people down the line, you could be directly responsible for the death of individuals. So although you might be happy if the virus gets you and say, that's fine, it's the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will, however, be held responsible for the fact that you have been a spreader. And this is the message which I've, I've sort of tried to, to get through, you know, and in also getting that message through, I've taken some flack as well because I've had to be quite harsh and quite straight to the point that, you know, by people not taking the advice seriously would result in deaths occurring. And I've used the, you know, some of the figures. So the virus, you know, one person who has the virus will on average spread it to 2.6 people. And over the space of every five days, by the time you get to 30 days, that's 406 people will be affected uncontrolled without social distance measures in another 30 days nearly 50,000 people 
will be affected. So even if you take a very conservative estimate of a death rate of around 1%, that's still responsible for the, the deaths of around 500 people in two months' time. And if you know, understand, the virus can be transmitted and it can affect people, most will be fine, but will cause death, then everybody has got a responsibility to act, you know, um, not just for the safety of themselves and the family, but to the wider community and for the whole population. Incredible. And that's a really powerful message. And I hope that it does have um, an impact on whichever community is receiving that message uh, for the good. Um, Bilal, if you could, um, you mentioned it briefly um, in the video that was circulated a couple of weeks ago when you were in self-isolation. But if you could, for the viewers and those who are going to access this interview, um, explain in a simple and accessible way how the virus actually works in terms of... Um, once you are infected. Sure. Okay. So, so the virus is, um, it's amazing, you know, the virus is like a thousandth um, the size of the width of a human hair. So it's tiny, absolutely tiny. And, and the virus itself is very simple. You know, it's got three parts. It's got a capsule. On the surface, there's these spikes and it looks like crowns. That's why it's called coronavirus, corona for crowns. And in the middle, is you've got the genetic material. So on its own, the virus can't do anything. It's helpless. It can't reproduce. However, once it infects somebody, then it can reproduce. So if I've got the virus and I either cough or I sneeze, then the um, virus can be released by droplets. And if you then inhale or that goes through your into your mouth or into your nose or on your eyes, you can then become infected. If I cough on my hand and then shake your hand or touch a surface, it, the virus can stay viable on a surface as well. So then you can um, touch the surface. And if you touch your face, you can contract the virus. Once the virus goes into your mouth or into the lungs, it will then attach onto little receptors. So the virus has these spikes. The spikes act like keys. It attaches onto the cell and the key opens the door into the cell. The virus will then go into the cell and then it will break up into its parts. The genetic material will then hijack the machinery of the cell and the, the, it will then become a factory to mass produce all the spare parts of the virus. And then these spare parts form further virus, viruses and then they are disseminated through the body. And in that process, it will kill the cell. As the virus then affects the, mainly the lungs and the breathing apparatus, the lungs are these like tiny balloons um, and there's millions of them in the, called alveoli. And normally as you breathe in, they stretch open and as you breathe out, they close and you get an inflammatory reaction. And these little alveoli, they get full of fluid and then it makes it very difficult to breathe. So that causes the pneumonia and that causes the difficulty with the breathing. Um, in our field that we work, you know, in the cardiology field, we know a lot of people get cardiac complications. So you develop inflammation of the muscle of the heart. You get conditions mimicking heart attacks, but it's just because the muscle of the heart has also become affected with, with inflammation. It's, it's really quite fascinating, but for many people who are hearing how the virus actually functions, it's, uh, it's really quite worrying, but it gives an image and uh, an explanation behind this invisible killer. Um, and, and it brings me to another point that hopefully, you know, you can expand on. And it's this idea of viral loading in terms of the coronavirus and how it functions. There's been some conversations uh, amongst experts as well as people uh, in the community around viral loading. How does that work and, and what impact does that have in terms of keeping you safe or the severity of your symptoms? 
so, so, so most of the time, it's um, the virus is uh, spread by droplets. That, that's the most common form. There's another way it can be spread, which is called um, aerosol. So in aerosol, it's the very fine particles. So in the hospitals, certain procedures that you do, for example, if you're on um, oxygen mixed with, with, um, with, with water, humidified oxygen, or if you're in the intensive care unit, or if you're doing um, resuscitation on somebody, all of these sort of um, procedures will generate aerosol. When you generate aerosol, the person who might receive the virus can get a large viral load. That's one of the theories why they think that why do the frontline medical staff seem to be affected more? Why um, mm. you know, some of the doctors that are on ventilators or, or um, anaesthetists or the ENT surgeons that mainly deal with ear, nose and throat surgery. Um, and the theory is that if you get a very large viral load, you actually get quite a severe reaction. Um, the reality is we don't really know because um, everything is quite new. You know, this has only been around for, um, for a few weeks. Uh, but we're learning day by day. Yeah. It goes without saying, and, you know, we're getting the headlines and the updates every single day that this virus um, has had a massive strain on the National Health Service. Um, as a physiotherapist, when I've had rotations in respiratory wards um, and I've treated patients in a phys physiotherapeutic way for community and hospital-acquired pneumonia, in the winter, you get an idea of how busy things can get. I have no idea and I can only imagine what it must be like in hospitals now um, treating patients um, with the virus. If you can give us an idea and shed some light on your experience returning to work and those of your peers and colleagues. Sure. So, so, I, I, so I only actually returned to work on Friday. And on Friday when I returned to work, it was just to get my, um, my mask fit in. I've got my mask here. That's the, um, uh, you know, you just need to check that you've got a, a clear seal on the mask. Um, but um, and first proper day back was was yesterday. At the moment, things are still relatively quiet in the north. Um, London's been hit quite badly and we're sort of lagging around anything sort of five to ten days behind London. The mood has been quite somber. And at the moment, it's like the calm before the storm. So we've stopped doing all activity apart from the emergency or the very high risk cases. Everything else has been suspended um, to on Friday. We had 16 confirmed cases. In, um, in our hospital, um, the cardiac intensive care unit, which is normally reserved for patients after cardiac surgery, is now our coronavirus, part of the coronavirus unit. And we're expecting, um, as in other places we've seen, the cases are doubling every sort of three days. So we expect our peak to occur in around three to four weeks time. Um, so at the moment, things are relatively quiet, but we're just preparing for the huge influx of cases. And I hope that I'm wrong. I hope you know, I'm a raving lunatic and people think I have just been scaremongering um, because if that's the outcome, then then brilliant. But, um, you know, looking at the data that's coming from other countries, particularly looking at the Italian experience and the fact that the measures we've taken have been following it then step by step. Um, it would take a miracle for us not to go down that same same path. And, and that's a really interesting point. Um, which brings me to something else that I'd like us to explore, which is there's people in our communities. And when I say our community, they don't mean specifically the community that we might live in, in terms of those that we share um, cultures with, but communities across the country um, that are perhaps, that are actually definitely um, in a mind frame and an attitude that this virus isn't that bad. And perhaps there is some fear mongering and perhaps there are some people that are just hypervigilant um, and hyper aroused, actually. Um, yeah. Someone like yourself who is in the front line, 
who has recovered uh, from the virus, uh, including your family. Um, doesn't it make sense that people who are having greater and closer contact with the virus and those affected um, would probably have a better idea of the severity of this virus? What message would you give to those who are probably a little bit more relaxed? So, so I think it's quite complex because, um, you know, because the data suggests that most people that will get it will be all right. Um, and, you know, there's an argument and people have made this argument. Well, just actually the, the death rate is far lower than we've been told because not everyone's being tested. And I also accept that as well. But the, the reason why, you know, uh, uh, on the front line, why we've really been worried about what's happening is we know the strain it's going to have on the health system. So the way I explain it to somebody like that who says, well, if I get it, I'll be all right, would be that's fine. If you get it, you'll be all right. But say three, four weeks down the line, you're involved in an accident. You know, you're riding your bike and you crash the bike and you have some internal injury and you need to be rushed into hospital. Now, normally you would survive because we've got the best treatment, all the beds and the facilities. But if this happens when we're in the middle of a pandemic and you intensive cares are full, the doctors are overworked and you haven't got the equipment, somebody like you who's normally fit and well and healthy, who can easily be dealt with with the facilities that we have, there's a good chance that you might die because we can't provide you the basic need you have to save your life because um, of the strain on the health system. So that's, you know, one message I, I give to people is a, a, of, a, of a greater responsibility of not allowing the health system to collapse or crumble because the knock-on effects of that is huge at the moment people are just concentrating on you know coronavirus deaths but I, I was on call for heart attacks you know in the last 24 hours normally it's fairly busy normally in 24 hours you know you'd be called in around three or four times sometimes even more um, and generally countrywide it's been pretty quiet part of the reason is everybody's scared to go to hospital and if somebody does have chest pain for example then they might just ride it out saying, well, I'm not going to bother calling an ambulance. They're really busy and we're scared at the moment as well. So there's a big knock on effect of all other things associated with this as well. And I always go back to the point of people who aren't taking it seriously is that I say, you know, that you will be responsible for causing death down the line. And, you know, especially when you know and understand regarding how the virus spreads, you might be absolutely fine. But you might kill one of your elderly relatives. You might kill somebody within your community. And often the impact of this can be massive. You know, we know that a single person has caused a huge amount of spread in many different countries. And that's been well documented in more than one country. Hmm. Uh, Bilal, I wanted to ask you um, another really important question, which is on the subject of social distancing and the barriers to Muslims and other Southeast Asian uh, communities and cultures who probably aren't able to access the um, government guidelines around social distancing in the same way we do because of a language barrier. What responsibility do we have, do the English speaking uh, Brits in the families have in order to increase um, the vigilance in our households? Because I think a lot of it is possibly down to just not being able to understand the severity of what's going on because they don't, they can't access the language. Like for example, I was having this conversation with a colleague and the word pandemic, I mean, what's the equivalent to the word pandemic? I mean, we, we hear the word pandemic, we have an idea of what it means because of the context in which it's used even more so now. 
what's its equivalent in Bengali, Urdu, in Punjabi, or in Arabic? So uh, uh, yeah, so so um, I think you're right. You know, everyone has a responsibility, but but um, and once you know we understand the severity of the situation, you've got to get it through to the to the older community. And I found just within you know within within my own community, um, you know, I had to explain to my own mother how how difficult. Um, it's going to be and how important the situation is and you know i've had other people contacting me saying look we've got your video we understand but can you make it in the different languages so they'll understand so i've tried to get that message out but for the people that do understand they've got to explain the message and the reason why the social distancing is important it's not just about self it is about a wider responsibility and also for our elders a lot of them have got heart trouble, they've got diabetes, they've got high blood pressure. They're the high, they're the at-risk population. So it's even more important because they will be more affected, you know, that, that we protect them. But they're the responsibility comes from individuals within the family. And at a wider community level, this is where, you know, whatever community organizations that we've got, um, they also help in getting the message out. And, you know, alhamdulillah, I think, you know, around in the Northwest, that's been actually quite, quite successful because after getting the video out, people said, can you get the different languages out? Then I put some um, thing together in terms of giving advice uh, and I got that out and quite a few of the of the mosques then circulated that around um, their own communities, you know, to get people to get a better understanding. And I generally have to say, although, you know, we started from a position where, um, you know, it seemed like people weren't getting the message in the space of, you know, a few days and certainly the last couple of weeks, the message seems to be getting through now. Um, that a lot of the mosques decided to um, close well before Boris Johnson uh, announced that places of worship should close, um, and, and a lot of um, and a handful of places put in mitigation um, beforehand. But generally, I think um, although we were slow to get the message, once we've got the message, uh, we have started to act pretty quickly. Alhamdulillah, and I've noticed that as well. I mean, by and large, the majority um, in our respective communities are understanding. Slowly but surely, um, what they can do to try to have a positive impact and try to influence it in the right direction. Um, there has been um, another uh, reaction, if you like, in our communities uh, in terms of panic buying, um, going into stores and trying to get in, uh, your hands on whatever you can. Um, some people have even gone and bought refrigerators and extra freezers to um, cater for their stockpiling. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, Bilal, how are you doing for food? Um, alhamdulillah, very well. You know, um, I, I, you know, uh, there's no problem at all with food. Um, and I just think the panic buying is just, um, w what I find difficult to understand is when, you know, um, on the one hand, you know, you've got faith. Uh, and on the one hand, the same people are saying, well, I'm not bothered what's going to happen to me is going to happen. Uh, would then go out and panic buy. So the two things don't go hand in hand. And I think that's where you do need your faith, you know, that Allah SWT will provide for you. Um, I found it very, you know, um, it's quite sad to see, actually. Very sad to see. But I'll give the benefit of the doubt. I think maybe the people are stockpiling to give to food banks and to give to their neighbours and to their communities, you know, because uh, we've also seen a lot of good work happen. Um, you know, certainly around Preston, um, you know, the local community has really um, going out of its way 
they're helping the vulnerable in the communities. Um, you know, with, we had one food bank set up, which has been set up for 18 months. It's been really busy. But then another three food banks um, set up by the local community um, is going and supporting people that are in need, you know, supporting the NHS. And people are, are going well out of the way now to pull together with some community spirit. So I think at the beginning, people might have been scared. But I think now, you know, they're, um, uh, they're pulling together and, and doing what they can uh, for the wider community. Alhamdulillah, that's really good. Um, with regards to you know supporting people who are, are, are less uh, fortunate than we are in terms of uh, material possession and finances, um, people in our community, especially the older generation, have or they often associate um, difficulties and struggles with what they've witnessed growing up, whether that's poverty. Um, or what we have grown up witnessing around the world. Um, devastation, natural disasters, wars, hundreds of thousands of deaths, um, as well as famines and, and, and other diseases. And we often associate that with true hardship, what true hardship and trials and tribulations look like. Um, would you say, and is it fair to say that we are experiencing a version of that ourselves here in the UK? I think what, you know, to put it in context, still, we are experiencing, I, I, I find it hard to compare this to what people around the world are going through. You know, if you look at it, for, for us that are born and brought up in this country, through our lives generally, you've had a very, very comfortable life. And even now, what's the worst thing is, you can't go out. We've got roofs over our heads, you know, you've got food, um, you've got safety, and we've got these things. So... It's not like, you know, you've got you've got real hardship. Um, yeah, you know, the disease, you know, um, could spread. People will be affected and that will be difficult and tough. But it's not like, you know, you haven't got the safety to go out of your house. Um, your family is going to get killed. And, um, you know, you're worried about bombs falling on your head. So looking at it from from that perspective, I think what we're going through is it's relative and it's very mild. And actually, you know, you think you always try and find some goodness through whatever difficulty there is. And I think, you know, there, there is some goodness for this because, you know, for, for, for the next generation, for the youngsters who pretty much have had everything on a plate, it's actually going to make them realise to be grateful for what it is that they've got and, you know, to get used to really a more basic, simple lifestyle. And, you know, you could be quite content and happy with that. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree 100% and thank you for that message. I think um, social distancing and self-isolation and uh, what we're doing now in terms of measures to keep ourselves and others safe is a huge opportunity for us to observe gratitude to Allah Azza wa Jal and gratitude for everything we have in our lives, um, especially our family is a huge one for those that we're living with and for those that we can't have access to right now in terms of uh, our efforts to keep them safe. I wanted to ask you, Bilal, um, how, where do you see things going and, and how do you see things progressing, not only in your experience and the strain on the NHS and how things are going to be at work moving forward. But how do you think things are going to be generally with the impact of this virus in the next, say, one to three months? Well, I think um, it's certainly going to get a lot, lot worse before it gets better. I think the next two months um, is going to be crucial, you know, because, um, again, if you're following the, the Italian model, um, the effects of sort of social distancing and lockdown sort of comes in around three weeks after the measures go in. So I think we, we have we are going to hit a peak um, during that peak period. I hope that, you know, all the, the hospitals are able to cope um, 
with what comes through the doors. And then I think we're going to be in a situation of um, uncertainty for a significant period of time. I think things are not going to go back to normal for several months. It may well be that it will be an on-off, on-off situation um, where, you know, the sort of lockdown is relaxed, then it's put on again, relaxed, then put on again. Um, but I think we're, we're going to be in um, uncertainty for a period of about a year. Um, the worst part being really the next the next three months. And as a, a closing message to our viewers, those who will be listening to today's interview, what message would you give to the Muslim community, any community, um, who perhaps aren't taking it as seriously as others, um, but also those who are really, really worried to the point where it's, it's impacting them in terms of their well-being, their mental health uh, and other things. What would be right. your message to, yeah. to them? So, so, so I'll deal with the second one first. Um, you know, it, there can be a, certainly a negative impact on mental health. And as we see at the moment, you know, especially if you look at the messages that are going around um, uh, on WhatsApp, a, a lot of it can be negative. And if that's all you're getting, that's going to just, you know, that's just the only thing that's going to grow inside of you. So um, what I do say is uh, of the information that comes through, don't delve on it too much. Don't forward it on. Verify your facts. Um, there's still a lot to be grateful for. The things that I mentioned before, you know, things could be, you know, significantly worse. If you are worried about getting it on the whole, most people that get it are going to be fine. You know, on the whole, um, you know, it will be a generally a minor illness and then you would get better. The main, you know, the main responsibility you have is to avoid getting it and to avoid spreading it. Um, to those that still think, you know, it's nothing to be taken seriously, um, you see some of the measures that have come in by the government um, and, you know, the fact that they've taken that the Excel Centre in London, um, the fact that, you know, they've um, taken other large exhibition centres and making makeshift hospitals. That tells you that this is not something, you know, to be taken lightly. And I've had people saying, oh, well, you know, it's, it's all nonsense. This it's all fear mongering. And the reason for that is because. You know, they want to introduce all these measures. So it's um, uh, it's not really real. There's nothing really there. Um, we're telling you from, you know, what we're seeing um, up and down the country, and what we're seeing the increase coming through the front doors. This is very, very real. Um, and if you don't take it seriously, you know, in two or three weeks time, um, you know, you're going to be crying, thinking, why didn't I listen? Why didn't I take it seriously? Especially then if you realize that you have been responsible for spreading it around. You've been responsible for the fact that there's hardly any beds available. And ultimately, you know, you will have been responsible for causing death down the line because of the nature of the illness that it is. Um, the small percentage that do become seriously unwell and die, um, you know, is um, is very worrying. I mean, just today, you know, I, I, I got the news of these um, you know, three Muslim doctors that have passed away. Um, and, you know, think about the guys that are going out. All you're being asked to do is to stay at home. Think of the people, the doctors, the nurses, the people that are keeping the country running, the people that are running the shops, all the all these, you know, um, people that are doing all of these roles. They're doing this to look after the health, to make sure food goes on the on the table, to make sure that the country generally generally runs. All you're being asked to do is to stay at home, stay at home. Don't go out. Just follow the guidance. And I don't think it's a lot to ask, because if you were to not do that, the price that others will pay is a very big price. And I just think it's extremely selfish for people to have that mindset that, well, I'm all right. I'm going to be all right, you know, and not bothered about anyone else. 
uh, Brother Bilal, um, it's been a, a, a huge honor and we really appreciated um, you being with us today. A lot of information that was shared in our conversation that I'm, I'm certain will be of huge benefit to those who listen, especially our communities uh, that we share uh, cultures with um, who probably aren't accessing um, the headlines, the information and the precautions and the warnings uh, as easily as others. Um, I pray Allah Azza wa Jal um, protects us uh, from, from disease and from ill health, whether that is physical or mental. I pray Allah Azza wa Jal makes us amongst those who are able to take advice and able to do what we can do to keep ourselves and others safe. And I pray that our families and our loved ones and our friends and our communities um, are vigilant during times of danger uh, and are able to take the necessary steps um, to bring good uh, to the places we live in. Uh, my message to you, uh, Bilal, is um, uh, we're really, really grateful for yourself and other healthcare professionals that are trying their hardest um, and are exposing themselves to danger every day. And, uh, and we pray Allah continues to give you um, the tawfiq uh, to do good and, uh, and protects you and your families. Ameen, ameen. Yeah, um, thank you. So um, I've, I've just missed out on my ban, haven't I? You know, because I'm... <laughs> Yes, you have, you have, but, yeah. but, ne but, but I'm sure next time when circumstances yeah. change, um, uh, we'll be able to offer you something like that or yeah. better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was good having you on and inshallah we speak to you soon. Take care, all the best. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum salam. Brothers, sisters, friends, those who have uh, watched uh, today's interview, my message to you um, alongside the message from the good doctor, uh, Dr. Patel, is stay at home. Do everything you can do to keep yourself safe, to keep your family safe, the people that you love, the people that are dear and close to you. Very simple. Stay at home. Follow the government guidance around self-isolation and social distancing. Don't deny yourself the ability to go out and stretch your legs and have exercise, but do it within uh, the right guidance. So keeping a safe distance of two metres at least, from people that are not in your household and wash your hands, stay clean and keep up to date with the news so that you understand how serious the matter is. But at the same time, try to find a balance and not worry yourself to the point where you um, are unable to enjoy things. This is a huge test for us all. Everyone is affected, some more than others. And I pray Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, brings us through this difficulty and we are able to overcome it and we are strengthened and we become closer as a community. It's been an absolute pleasure to be able to bring some information to you that I hope is of some benefit and I'm sure I'll be seeing you again. Your brother Aki Hussain, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.